Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Welcome to Football Digest. This week, I'm joined by Ian Doyle, the chief Liverpool writer for The Echo, and we're going to examine the fallout of Liverpool's defeat against Manchester United on Monday night. A match which left the Reds winless from the first three Premier League matches of the season. And the signs are already there that this may well be a transitional season for Jurgen Klopp and his squad. Ian, welcome to the show. Um, you were there on Monday night. Can you give us um, an overall summary of, of um, the reaction around the club uh, to, to what was a pretty significant defeat uh, to Man United the other day? Well, obviously, <clears throat> they weren't very happy. Um I think that they were very surprised at just how badly they played, certainly in the first half an hour, which is essentially where the game was lost. Um, but overall, I think if you if you just look at the way things have gone this season, I mean, we're not looking for we're not looking for excuses for what happened because the first twenty minutes, you know, Liverpool just weren't anywhere near anywhere near good enough. They looked nervous, and that's very unusual for a team that's just you know got to three finals, won two competitions, finished second in the Premier League. You know, they've they've. They've proven time and time again they can cope with these kind of situations, but for some reason they just didn't. And I do think that, as I said before, the there are reasons for it. I mean, they had 280 million pounds worth of players not playing. I mean, obviously 80 million of that was Nunes, that was his own fault, but the others were all injuries, injury, in, sorry, injured players and injuries. Now you could argue that. Some of them wouldn't get anywhere near the team at the moment. You know, Calvin uh, Ramsey, the new signing, he's obviously never played for Liverpool. He's only 18. Nick Keller has the reserve goalkeeper. He wasn't there. You know, those kind of players. But Diogo Jota, Thiago Alcantara, you know, one of Joe Matip or Ibrahima Canati. So if you actually look at Liverpool's team, um, possibly yeah, from the start of the season, you could argue with the injuries that have happened already. They're in a weaker position than they were at the end of last season. And that kind of reflected on, on what happened on the day. So the actual game itself, I mean, as I said, Liverpool just started so slowly and you know, United were the first to all the, all the challenges. And then Liverpool conceded the first goal, which I think it's now seven times in a row in the Premier League. And in the previous six, they managed to get, I think it was three draws and they've turned it around for three wins. But if you keep conceding the first goal, there's always going to be a chance you're going to lose a game. And that's what happened. And, you know, I you know Jurgen Klopp said afterwards he thought Liverpool were worthy of a draw and... If you actually just look at the actual burst statistics and you know, Liverpool had twice as much possession, they had more shots on goal, United tried to score two goals for them by putting it to their own net. You know, there was all that, all that kind of stuff. But anybody who walked away from that ground who watched the game couldn't argue that you know, United deserved to win. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit like, you know, watching their, their first three Premier League matches this season and all these injuries that they've been afflicted with, they haven't really ha- been able to get a fresh start at the start of a campaign. It feels like, you know, they've run all, almost all the way through the summer and it's just still a grind for them. Whereas some other clubs, there's definitely been a, a refresh. Think of Arsenal, for example. But Liverpool, it just seems that, you know, the problems that plagued them for the last couple of seasons with injuries and maybe they've a, a small squad and inexperienced players on the bench. It's like it's rolled straight into, into this campaign. And am I wrong or right with that? I mean, that, that's a good point. But I think the actual, you know, rolling over is in, in a sense that I still don't think they've got over what what happened at the end of last season where they came so close to winning everything. Still won two trophies, like, but the two bigger ones, they, they just missed out on. And with there having been such a short period between the end of one season to the beginning of the next and you know Liverpool prepare you know 
you know, quite specifically for campaigns, and Klopp likes a long pre-season, and they haven't been able to have that. I do think, and I've mentioned this before, that with there only being one game a week for the first three or four weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, of the season, I think they thought we can continue, you know, doing the work at, at the training centre so we can use it that way. But what's happened, of course, is all the injuries have meant, well, and a lot of the injuries have been to players who are either a bit younger, because I'm sure we'll get on to how old Liverpool's team was on uh, on Monday compared to United. It's they're having to just keep on playing the same players. And a lot of the older players who are the ones who played an awful lot of last season. And they are a little bit, you know, a little bit tired. Even if they don't say that they are, they don't really know for sure. They look, you know, for example, let's just say Van Dijk. And, you know, you look at his performance level over the, over this season where it was only last week. And I says, well, I don't particularly think it's been absolutely awful. But his performance at United wasn't anywhere near you know, his normal level. He's, I know he's had he's had three different centre back partners in four games, which doesn't help. He's had a midfield in front of him, which is offering not much protection because they keep on chopping and changing, and they've got a lot of the older players, with, with the exception of Harvey Elliott, obviously. You know, a lot of the older players are playing in front of him, and they're not offering quite the same protection. So it's knock on effect all the way through. But yeah, you know, Van Dijk, he just he looks tired mentally as well. I mean, they had the big arguments on the pitch, didn't he, with James Milner? So for Milner to be going up to Van Dijk and say, well, he, he swore obviously quite a few times at him, but you know to basically say, what on earth were you doing? I've just legged it all the way from one one side of the box to the other to try and stop this ta- this shot from Sancho, and you've just stood there with your arms behind your back. So, um, you know, I don't have any problem with. I know you mentioned you know, body language and stuff like that. I mean, that's just teams wanting to win. That's nothing. That's nothing out of the ordinary. You get arguments on the pitch all the time, and so and that's not a massive problem. The problem is the actual performance level, and I think, as you said, they haven't been able to have a reset because it just feels as though it just keeps on going on and on and on. And I think, I think for Liverpool and as I say, the actual the players that are injured, the types of the players that are injured, a lot of them are the younger ones. I think that's another reason, not an excuse. It's just a reason because, you know, it's. You can't go from being this team that was within two games of absolute perfection last season to being absolutely terrible just because, and I know everyone will say, just because Sadio Mane left. Well, that's not true. You know, that's not true. He, he's not. He would never have been playing centre back, would he? So, well, right you never back. know. You have to play Fabinho. <laughs> I, he's not, he's not I don't even think he's tall enough to be, you know, centre back for Man United. So, you know, I, <laughs> I think. Um, I think it can't all just come down to that. I, I just do think there has been a hangover from Paris. And what I would say as well is certainly with the atmosphere at the Liverpool game and the Crystal Palace last week, I think there's a slight hangover from the fans as well because of what happened you know, before and after the game. Because I know, I know people who just have not really that fussed at the moment. I don't think there's been a long enough gap between what happened to, to now so people just haven't really quite got to grips with it. But unfortunately, that's the way that the season is this season. And you know, suddenly Liverpool are seven points off the top. Yeah, maybe that's one of the things that um, a lot of the analysis doesn't actually consider. You know, there's definitely a psychological toll that's been taken on on the club due to what happened uh, in Paris, for sure. Um, and I still don't think we're, we're we're truly at the, you know, sort of the end of the investigations of the fallouts of that. Um, and I can completely understand why fans maybe have been turned off a little bit by, you know, football in general because of that. But also, I think there is a psych. You mentioned it's interesting. There is sort of the psychological hangover of, uh, not getting the job done in the end in those two big competitions, the Premier League and the Champions League. And maybe some of the analysis from the outside is lacking on this, that something like that can take its toll. You know, so close to perfection, as you mentioned, 
it must be a sense of deflation around the club that, you know, we, we put absolutely everything into this and we came up just short. And you've also got to bear in mind that since it was possibly, I think it the, the, Jurgen Klopp sat the players down and they had a chat after they drew two all with Chelsea at uh, the first game of, of this year, actually, and said, look, we have to change things around a little bit. And since then, it's almost as though every single game has been, we've got to win, we've got to win. And I know all football is like you need you want to win every game, but you don't necessarily have to win every game. But for Liverpool, it's kind of just felt that way. And especially with them, you know, with them starting the season with the draw at Fulham, that happens. You know, promoted team, you might not be, you know, fully up to speed, and they're absolutely, you know, you know, desperate for it to make a big impression. That happens. But then you have the Crystal Palace game, and you, the kind of the mood is like, oh, hang on, this isn't really happening here. And then you have what's happened on Monday night. So these things do roll into each other. So yeah, I do think the players, because as I said. The, the new signings. In fact, the best Liverpool's best player on Monday when he came on the bench was probably Cavalier. New signing who hasn't been, you know, weighed down by all this that happened last season. You know, Nunes wasn't there, and the other one, Calvin Ramsey, said before he's injured, he probably wouldn't have been playing anyway. So, all these players have, have taken on and experienced what happened the previous season, and with no real alternatives. I mean, look at United. United on Monday, Ten Hag was able to drop Ronaldo, Fred, Maguire, and Shaw. Now, if Liverpool did that, the equivalent now, given the performance levels, was for the Bournemouth game, dropping Van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold, um, Henderson and Firmino. And with the players they've got available, they'd have to bring they'd have to play Simakas right back or move James Milner to right back. They'd bring in Fabinho for Henderson, fair enough. They'd have to play Nat Phillips instead of Van Dijk. And they'd have to bring in Cavalio, who's only 19 and never played up front, and play him instead of uh, Firmino. So... They haven't got the options that, say, United were able to, you know, have. I mean, they'll have them at some point in the season. And I'm sure that they'll get, you know, once some of the players start coming back, they'll get the results. But it's like not an excuse. It's just a reason that they weren't able to, you know, change things. It's funny, isn't it? Because Klopp was a massive advocate of making five substitutions. And then he play at Old Trafford that he can't because he's, he's got four kids on the bench. It can barely name five subs, never mind use exactly. five well, subs. The, the, well, the fact with Cater, Cater going off, the day before, they'll have prepared all week for him playing. Again, they looked. Another reason is they look very much a team who prepared one way, and at the last minute, someone drops out. Normally, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But again, with them having so few options, they couldn't really do a lot. And so they named a second goalkeeper on the bench in Harvey Davis, and the chance of him getting on is nil. They were just like putting somebody on the bench for just to make up the numbers. Talk to me a little bit about Naby Keita. He's you know, he arrived obviously with this massive reputation and he's been there obviously for Champions Leagues, for Premier Leagues. I can't really understand why he's never taken flight at Liverpool while it's never really taken off. You know, when I look at his pedigree, he's the type of player that you think by this stage should have established himself, you know, 300 matches, whatever, being the guy. But for whatever reason, whether it's, whether it's injury or form, you know, he's in the team and then he's out the team, then he's in the team, then he's out the team. And you never really see this you know, this momentum, this consistency, these patterns from Keita. Inside the club, are they disappointed with how the signing is working out? I mean, it depends on who you ask, really. I mean, with Keita, on the, the Blood Red podcast, we've spoken about it that much. We could just, like, just play it now till the international break. Because <laughs> we've spoken about it that much over the over the four years he's been there. I think the problem with Keita, Keita's entire Liverpool career essentially got summed up on Monday, uh, just before seven o'clock, when it came out that, he wasn't playing and he was injured at the exact time when they needed him to actually be playing because everybody else is injured. That kind of sums it up. When, when opportunity has been knocking, he's not been there. It's not. It's, it's obviously not, it's normally not been his fault, but 
And in fact, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a piece last week because people were saying it's always very injury prone. But this actual um, calendar year, up until this weekend, I think he'd missed one game through illness and one game through, and two games through a slight knee injury. That then that's he's been there all the way through, and that helped Liverpool last season because he started. He started two of the three cup finals, and he started the FA Cup semi final, and he started the Champions League semi final second leg in Villarreal. So Klopp obviously trusts him to that extent, but. Yeah, he's never really been. He's never been a a regular in the midfield. Another thing, what what you would say for his skill set is that he's never quite had the right players playing up in front with him. You know, I think it's what was noticeable when he first joined. Sturridge was still at Liverpool then. He didn't play many games, but he was still there. And then in the summer, he, he got this link with Sturridge because Sturridge likes to play. You know, he likes to play last defender. You're running behind, which is definitely not what um, Firmino does when he's played up front. To a lesser extent, Jota does do that when he's that then he got into the team. But Nunes is a player like that. And in the summer just gone, the, the, the warm-up games, there's been quite a few games where two things happen. One, Cage had somebody to pass to who can you know get him behind and his, his quick passes can help. And the second thing, because he's a striker and he stays further forward, Cage's got a little bit more room in which to play. So that looked quite promising. But then Cater gets ill, misses the first game, wasn't properly ready for the second game, and then gets injured ahead of the third game. So it's like, brilliant. In any case, you know, Nunes wouldn't have been playing anyway. But I think if Cater was fit, he would have been playing against United because it was last season he scored the opening goal and had one of his best best games for Liverpool. I think it's a case, I think it's the case going back. It's, it's just his entire career at Liverpool has been a missed opportunity. Some fans absolutely defend him to the hilt. Others just go, every time he gets injured, you know, why do we even put any trust in, in this player? Because he's never there when we need him. But they're probably, I think it's probably both sides are right because he is a good footballer. But as we've seen so many times, what's the point of having a good footballer if, if you're not available? You may as well have me there. <sighs> Give you a squad number for next year. But it's an interesting point you raise because I actually think that this is the same thing they suffer from with, with, with Thiago. Because when, when Thiago plays, and we saw that run of matches that, that um, I think it was, was it last season or maybe the season before, when he was in the team, and every time he plays, he's the fulcrum. He's on the ball 150 times in the game. He's every second pass. And the, the whole thing runs through him. I always felt like the danger of building building a midfielder, building a team around a player like Thiago is that, you know, he, he's missed probably about 15 to 20% of the matches that he was available for throughout his career at Bayern, maybe at Barcelona as well. But also Liverpool were taking a little risk um, in doing that because when you lose him, you lose so much. You're losing his influence, you're losing your style of play. And... Yeah, I I put Liverpool's maybe their indifferent start to the season down to the fact that he's not available anymore. I think I think that's interesting. That is probably right, and I think Liverpool knew they were taking a chance. Thiago, the, the second halves of both seasons, last season and the season before, when he got into the team and he was fit, that's when you know the season before is when again I was almost playing centre back. You know, you had Nat Phillips and Reese Williams and Kabak and you know those players, but Thiago got into the team, got into the midfield. And that's when they started getting the results at the end to finish third. I mean, last season you saw he was, you know, you saw him. The, there you go. The game against United where Liverpool won 4 0 at Anfield. I mean, I did the player ratings. I gave him a 10. Couldn't fault him at all. Both skulls were sat, were sat two seats down from me in the press box. He was like, he's absolutely unbelievable. This is an amazing performance. You know, that's the kind of thing. Liverpool, and the interesting thing as well is that very rarely do Cater and Thiago start in the same game. It tends to be one or the other. And often when they get substituted, it's for each other. So they're kind of like, it's almost like they balance each other out. It's like if one's not available, then the other one is. But at the moment, neither of them are. And then on top of that, not the same kind of player. 
but kind of can add the same energy, a different kind of thing, is Curtis Jones, who's only like 21. He's out as well. So it's 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 like these players who've got not exactly the same skill sets, but got a similar way of playing, they're all out. And so that's why Liverpool are, are kind of, you know, stuck with a midfield that, unfortunately, if, you know, James Miller, when he signed his contract last uh, in the couple of like, weeks ago now, I think it was, like, no, it was a bit earlier than that. It was after the end of last season when he signed his new contract. I'm pretty sure I didn't expect to be starting two of the first three Premier League games. With the captain's armband as well, leading the team out. Well, exactly. That's the thing. I'm pretty sure I didn't expect that to be happening. But further up, up the field, I mean, we're going to get to the defence uh, in a second. It's almost a bit like that David Moyes, that Man United tweet about David Moyes. You know, they've got many areas they can improve in because there are issues all over the place really for for Liverpool. And up front, I think they're, they're suffering sort of this perfect storm situation where Mane is gone, his replacement is suspended. And Firmino's replacement, as it were, uh, in Diogo Jota is is it, it is injured. So although it, although it looks like a, a strong front line. I think the other night was it Diaz, uh, Salah and Firmino who started. Is that right? That's yeah, the three that's right. yeah, yeah. 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 But that is not exactly what you would call Jurgen Klopp's first choice front three for the season. No, well before the start of the season the three of them had never started a game together. Um it was the it was the charity sorry, Community Shield. I've gone back to the nineteen eighties there. Uh, Community Shield, which was uh, the first game that they started together. Then they played against Fulham. And then, of course, Nunes comes in against Palace, gets sent off, and so they're back again. And the other thing about, I think, for Liverpool, as well as the injuries, Firmino didn't play last week as a precaution, so he's not fully fit. I'm pretty sure that Henderson isn't fit because he almost didn't play um, the other week. But going back to the forward line, you're right, because the, as you said, it's the, the, that perfect storm where the wrong players are unavailable for Liverpool. It's like, if you want to look forward and progress, all of the players that will be taken into that position, with the exception of Diaz, they're injured. And I think what you did notice is how far apart all the three forwards were on, um, I mean, in the first, on Monday in the first half, Firmino was always playing defensive midfield. And I think that's partly because he just wanted to go and see where the ball was. Second half, he played a bit further up. and But there was no way they could really change it too much because of all the other injuries. And we recorded a podcast yesterday at the Echo and. We kind of, I've always said that while it was not one of the issue, one of the priority positions, I do think that they were a forward short and in a certain type of forward because they got rid of, well, they didn't get rid, but obviously Manny wanted to go. Origi was out of contract and they sold Minamino. And they brought in Nunes, who we've spoken about, and they also brought in Cavalio. And Cavalio, I think he's going to be regarded as more of as a forward this season as an option. You know, it's, I mean, we have to bear in mind we're only three games into the season. Because the only thing is that losing to United at Old Trafford, Liverpool have done that millions of times in the past. In fact, probably, probably they've lost there more times than any other ground in their entire history, I think, about Manfield, obviously. But you didn't expect them to draw a full and we didn't expect them to draw a Palace. So that's the context of it. Because don't forget, it was only, what, three and a half weeks ago they were beating Man City 3-1 in the, in the Community Shield and everyone was like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. But since then, Thiago got injured, Matip got injured, Canati got injured the following day. Curtis Jones got injured the following day. Cater's got injured. So and Nunes got sent off. So it's it's like, oh hang on, half the team just disappeared straight away. So again, I do think what it has done has exposed certain issues such as 
where I think they should have brought another forward. Pretty sure we'll get onto the midfield in a bit. And I'm pretty sure you're going to talk about the defence now. Well, I was going to ask, first of all, since we're talking about, you know, that maybe lack of strength and depth and they could do but one or two more. I can't really see Liverpool going to the market now at this stage with a week left in the window. They're not that type of club. Um, I know they did it one January, a couple of Januaries ago when they ended up bringing in Ben Davis and Ozan Kabak and that kind of thing. That was real desperation stuff in the end. But generally, these their transfers are very well planned out. They do things early in the window. They don't really get caught into, you know, bidding races. They've got their own targets. There's probably nobody on their list, I would say, that they're going to go for in the next week or so. Would you agree? I mean, the problem you've got is that they showed the hand a little bit because they wanted to sign the lad from Monaco, whose name I can never pronounce, Chimene, Chimene. Chimene, yeah. Yeah, Chimene, yeah. yeah, he went to Real Madrid. So instantly you go, oh, well, they need a midfielder. And I think that was, this is me guessing, but I'm pretty sure that was on the basis that they would have sold probably Oxlade-Chamberlain, possibly, or Cater this summer because both are out of contract at the end of the end of the season and they won't offer both of them contracts. Again, Oxlade-Chamberlain straight away got injured. And yeah, I, I'm not classic. sure whether we'll. Uh, yeah, we're not sure whether we'll see him before, before you know, before the World Cup. I'd be surprised. I mean, Liverpool have been quite clever in the fact that they keep their injuries quite close to the chest because it doesn't give any pressure on the player to then come back by certain. But they, but then the, the 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 adverse effect of that is that now everyone the fans are going. We haven't got any players. You know what's going on? Why why shouldn't we be signing? We don't know how long all these players are out for, so we don't know for sure. But going back to your question about signing the midfield, yeah, Liverpool showed the hand a bit, then went, oh, that's not that's the one we wanted. We go into Real Madrid, forget that. We'll, we'll have a look next season. There was always this longer term plan of of strengthening next season because Milner, Oxley, Chamberlain, and Cater will be out of contract, and I'm pretty sure none of them will be staying after that. Uh, although they are trying to give Cater a contract, although given what's happened in the last week, especially with Cater, is apparent unhappiness at game time, which I think some fans thought was a little bit cheeky because if he was if he was fit a bit more often then he would actually get more game you know more minutes playing for Liverpool. So there's that. I think you mentioned Davis and Kabak. Davis never played in the end. Kabak played about seven or eight games and well, I think it was 14 actually and then then got injured funnily enough. You know, like just about everybody else. So um, the witch, the witch of uh, the yeah, trainers, yeah, 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 it's back, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I do. I think they don't really want to sign a midfielder. They'll only sign one that they want because they'll have looked at that Kabak and Davis situation and gone, well, there's an example of what happens when we don't, when we don't, when we sign somebody that we didn't really want to get in. But I do think that if the cater injury, because we don't know how severe it is, is severe. You're looking at them losing, having lost at least two of the midfield options. Thiago's a couple of weeks away. And I know they don't like doing things short term, but they may have to bring in somebody who is just going to be, he's going to help in that sense. But the other thing is Liverpool have got a lot of younger players, Elliot Jones, players like that at that age. And they've got a lot of older players, such as, you know, Salas, 30s, Van Dijk is, Henderson, those kind of players. They've got a lot in that kind of, you know, prime, prime, prime age between 25 and 30. They're the most, they tend not to buy players at that age because they are the most expensive. The problem there is that you always get to a point such as now where they bought the younger ones, they haven't quite matured yet. The ones at the prime have just gone over the, the other end. They need more players in, in the middle, in the middle. Have you, just, have you just said that Sal and Van Dijk are over the hill? No, I said they're old. I'm 46, I'm not over the hill. I can still do a job. So, uh, <laughs> So yeah, there's, there's that. Um, 
But you obviously you get to a point where, uh, okay, an example of somebody who perhaps has gone past his best is Firmino, for example. But he's not been he's not been a regular for two years, so this is not new. He's never been a quick player anyway. He's been quick of mind, and I think he needs other other quicker players around him that bring more out of him, which is what they did with Salah and Mane. And I think you know over time, if those three we mentioned Diaz, Salah, and Mane, uh, Diaz, Salah, and Firmino played up front, they might get a relationship, but they're probably not going to because Nunes is there, and he is somebody who's twenty three. So he's another he's another one that's they bought to get better. They bought loads of players like that. They bought loads of players early like that. I think Fabinho, you know, Salah was 25. I think they bought him. Diaz is 25, actually. I think he might be 26 now. But he's one that was just bought on the on the cusp of his prime, which is why it cost £50 million. But well, that was a player who they knew was going to go into the team. And I think with this midfielder now, if Liverpool can find a midfielder who's that ilk, who's going to improve what they've got and don't, doesn't impinge on what they're planning next season, whatever that is, and doesn't affect the budget too much, they might just have to buy this person. But then again, you know what transfers are like. The other team might go, hang on, it's August the 24th, get lost. We, have, we've had to, we can't find a, a replacement. So it will be interesting. I, have the, I, think, ugh, I think they might have to buy somebody. I think they might have to buy somebody purely because I think Kate might be a severe injury. Just a guess, right, okay. Just a guess. Okay. And despite all this, you know, I was looking through the XGs for Liverpool this morning, expected goals for those who don't know. And my understat- for you. <laughs> yeah, my understat table suggests that Liverpool have sort of three points less in the league than, than they deserve, than they, than they should have, based on the quality of the chances they've been created, the number of chances that they've been creating. So... You know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. They may, they may have had an unlucky start to the season, as as decimated as they have been by injuries and whatnot. But they, there's no question that there are still creating chances. Is a fair clip, no? Well, I think they weren't unlucky against Fulham because they were terrible in the first half. I think Crystal Palace. If you say they were unlucky, it's because they were quite clearly the best team. But the main striker gets himself sent off. That's not unlucky. Um, I think do those do those stats count? Those two chances that United. You know, had for Liverpool by trying to score in their own goal. I don't think I don't even think they'd count, would they, in the old X? No, I don't think so. Don't so, think so. so, so yeah. So there's another. You can add another two onto that. I think it, it's hard, isn't it? Because if, you, as I said before, if you look at the stats as you've just pointed out, then you go, "Whoa, well, Liverpool are being a bit unlucky here." Yeah, and I think that's a, what a lot of teams do in terms of when they want to see how things are going. They take the passion out of it, but. We saw, hang on, we saw in that pandemic season what happens when you take the passion out of football with nobody there. It's absolutely terrible. Most will just be playing it as a, on a computer game at home. So I do think that, yeah, stats are important in pointing things out, but they don't, they, they don't reflect, as we mentioned before, the psychological effect of having the entire season that we've got to win every game, not having had this, this sufficient rest, you know, certain players being off form. So... You get, but then you might. But then the, the obvious answer is: well, clearly they're not they're not good enough finishing. They're not good enough for finishing. That's the reason why, and they're not good enough defending. If they're giving away not that many chances, but the other team is scoring. Exactly. Uh, we'll get on to the fence just now because I wanted to mention two players in particular, and I hate to single out players like this, but I mean the the form of Van Dijk and and first firstly who I want to talk about is Alexander Arnold uh, over the course of the first three games. I get the impression that certainly on Monday night. Um, Alexander Arnold was being targeted for for pressure from from Man United. Whether whether that was finding that space in behind when when Liverpool were up the field in order to get in there for a counter attack, or asking their wingers, their white players, to go one on one with with Alexander Arnold. So 
what's your what's your what's your analysis on that? I mean, it's always been a bit of give and take with Alexander Arnold because what he gives you on the ball, dead uh, set pieces, dead balls, through balls, crosses is probably irreplaceable from any other fullback in the world. And probably the best at doing that since probably Danny Alves was in his in his peak at Barcelona, in my opinion. But the other way, I would have to say, I think he's he's quite an average defender. And now teams are beginning, well, teams are more often uh, trying to get in and exploit that. I think a couple of things with Trent is that he's such a specific footballer and got such a specific skill set, as you just mentioned. There has to be a certain accommodation for him. And I think that's part of the reason why he's not had much of impact at at England because for whatever reason Gareth Southgate and his assistant Steve Holland just don't want to accommodate what he's got I think they they, they think it the other way around they he's think, not well, an I'm orthodox not. right back is he yeah yeah he's not he's not right but so therefore there are certain aspects of Liverpool's overall game that have to for want of a better phrase protect him and he just didn't have any of that in the first half Harvey Elliott's a young lad who's, who's was making can't remember he's not made many Premier League starts and that was probably the biggest Premier League game he'd started and he actually was one of Liverpool's better players on the night overall through the course of the 90 minutes we didn't offer a lot of protection in the first half and if you've got the midfield as well as Henderson who for the first 25 minutes he just couldn't get to grips with the game so he's not offering protection and then you've got you know Joe Gomez again who I thought was one of Liverpool's better players um He's just come back into the team and, and hadn't have played alongside, you know, Van Dyke or I think it's the first time he played alongside Van Dyke since funny enough, since Liverpool got beat 7-2 by Aston Villa in the certainly from a starting Premier League game. Um so, so yeah, so you would so you would have had a lot of you know, a lot of oh well again, you know, that kind of thing. So and of course United weren't weren't going on. We'll just let them say hello to each other and then we'll we'll get on with the game. United just went, right, that's clearly an area where we can go for, let's go and do it. And it worked first half. Less so second half because United weren't so much on the attack because Liverpool were pushing them back a bit. So I think, yeah, I think Trent, I mean, going forward, Trent's fine. No problem, no problems there. You know, in terms of his actual pass, and he created loads of chances against Crystal Palace, for example. It's not his fault the other players couldn't put them in the net. Um, but yeah, defensively, you can be exposed, but then it's like no matter how good a team you are, you're always going to have a weakness. You're going to have a number of weaknesses that teams exploit. That's one of them. And what Liverpool didn't do in the first half is go, well, hang on, something's going on here. Let's sort this out. Because they were all they were all too bothered about, too many of them were all too bothered about their own individual battles rather than going off and helping somebody else. And I think that's where, if you are a team that is kind of, not, not so much thrown together because they'll have all, a lot of them will have played in the in in the same team but they're thinking I've got to construct on my own little thing first then I'll help out you know it, it's all subconscious thing and United didn't really have that problem because they you know they had the the atmospheres behind them probably the worst protest ever in the history against some owners that just didn't didn't happen did it really inside the ground anyway which is clever from United to, to put Casemiro out there beforehand because you know the last thing they wanted to do was the fans wanted to do was make things bad for him but um, yeah I think I think with Trent yeah, defence. I always go back with Trent to when Liverpool played Man City in the Champions League quarterfinals in 2018. And he basically left one on one with Sané all game in the first game. And Liverpool won 3 0, and he, he just stopped him from doing anything. So that kind of at the time, that ended any kind of debate. And it was very early on in his career whether or not he could defend or not. But since then, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he's been far, you know, he has been targeted. Um, but I don't think. He's a terrible defender by any stretch of the imagination. I do think that 
perhaps is one that, as I said before, needs a needs a team to be well, not built around it, but have a certain section. I know, I know it's the same for a lot of all teams. They will off, need to offer protection for their fullbacks, but there are some where you can just say we can leave him because he's such a good defender and he can sort out the one on one battles. And I think. Yeah, Kyle Walker, for example. Yeah, would, exactly. Yeah. Yes, so I think sometimes with Trent, he needs a little bit more assistance, and and because he's always looking to then, as soon as he gets the ball, he's looking for the opportunity to get forward. And I think sometimes actually just defend this first and then get it forward is perhaps a way. In fact, I think I'm pretty sure that's how the first goal came about. Instead of just passing it back to Allison, he built it down the line, gives the ball away, having won it. So that's an example of perhaps a little bit. <laughs> I've got to say, does that come with experience? I mean, he's only 23, isn't he? 23, 24. I mean, well, he has played he's in, already won everything. He's played in Champions League fans and won everything. So you'd think he, he might know by now. But again, I think it's just the way that he's been brought up to play the game. And unfortunately, with the rest of the team not quite functioning, it's affecting him. It's this knock-on effect. We, we saw that when 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 their centre-backs were injured during the... Uh... Was it the previous season when the, when they had to play, and and then it has a knock on effect to everything else within the team, and maybe maybe Trent is suffering from that because when they were strong, when Liverpool have been really strong and winning trophies, it's it kind of goes without saying that somebody like Henderson or Fabinho will shuffle across and and look after him, but it's just to me that it doesn't seem that that's happened at the minute. It's leaving him a bit, I don't know, exposed to criticism from. Um, you know, sort of armchair quarterbacks such as myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, yes, basically. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, uh, and one other person, just before we finish up, there's one other person I wanted to speak about is uh, is Virgil van Dijk. Um, I know he's been accused of being uh, quote-unquote casual throughout his career. Uh, that goes all the way back. Celtic, Netherlands, uh, Southampton. It's never really been something that has been a problem up until now in his game for Liverpool because... As we mentioned, he's been so well protected. One on one, he's been exceptional. Um, you know, he doesn't let defend, he doesn't let attackers really go by him very often. Um, very strong, commanded in the air. You know, his defending one on one, I think, in the last few weeks, there's been more of these examples that maybe some of his critics from earlier in his career would recognize and think, look, that that's why we had our doubts over him. And this is the type of thing we're talking about. Again, it could come back down to a number of things. I mean, I, I, it was a year ago, wasn't it, that he came back from his year out. And while Joe Gomez barely played a game last season, Van Dijk played nearly every single game. And I wonder whether Off that's Off the back kind of, of a very, yeah. very serious injury. So I wonder whether or not that's caught up with him a little bit. And, of course, as I mentioned before, Liverpool can't rotate him at the moment because there's nobody to come in. So, unfortunately, if you're going to drop one of the centre-backs, it would be in. But, but they're not going to bring Nat Phillips in because it's not fair on Nat Phillips either. You know, Matip and Canati are injured. I think Matip might be back pretty soon, so that might be able to sort itself, which is probably a good timing, actually, because the Champions League will be starting sooner than they're playing the two games a week and then they're back into the routine, which will further ex- which will further expose. Well, you will gain... Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It will, it will give them more rhythm, but it will also further expose any of the injuries or issues that they might have that they've been getting away with the ones that as I said before, Henderson, Firmino probably would have missed more games had they been playing two games a week. So, yeah, with Van Dijk, I think he's got enough credit in the bank, hasn't he? He's allowed a few dodgy games. I think it was just weird what he did for that first goal. It's like, well, what are you doing? You know, like, no wonder Milner had a go at him. I think you mentioned one-on-one. There was an interesting thing not long after the goal, actually. I think Rashford was through down the right and Van Dijk came across and just ushered him inside a little bit and then just took the ball off him and walked off. And you were like, well, actually, that's what you mentioned. He, that's what he's best at. So he's, he obviously still does it. But yeah, it, it's kind of, it's it sets the tone, doesn't it? I think there are, 
there is that kind of suggestion that they're not quite all 100% for all of the reasons that we just mentioned about, what was it, about 25 minutes ago? Yeah. Well, I think in Liverpool's situation, what I think is interesting is, you know, we talk about their recruitment model, which is to buy ones really young who then have maybe sell on value or can establish themselves as world-class players. Because of doing that, they've almost got this other problem, which now they do have a group of those players that they wanted to avoid in the first place. They would never sign a 30-year-old established ready-made star on X amount of 100 grand a week. But they've got a load of those on the team now. You know, we saw this sort of contract standoff with Mohamed Salah. Is he worth the money? Is he worth the, the years? Van Dijk has obviously got a new deal. And now they have this cluster of players who are, you know, we mentioned that if they're not over their peak, they're certainly on the crest of the wave right now. Um, and I just wonder whether they're they're going to have to update their model to to incorporate players like that within it now. I think, well, that goes back to what we were saying before about the, the, the players who are injured tend to be most of the ones in that kind of age group where you'd want to be playing. Um, for example, Firmino wouldn't be playing. It would be Nunes or Jota. Salah's different because he is one of the best players in the world and why wouldn't you keep him? There would normally be one of Henderson and Fabinho, not both. You wouldn't have Milner in the team. That's another two players. I think defensively, Van Dijk, it's 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 fine to a degree because while Matip's over thirty, Canati and Gomez are both twenty five and under, so they can offer they can offer offer legs. And when when Canati, certainly in the second half of the season, when Canati and Van Dijk have played together, for example, they've worked really well as a, as a partnership. So yeah, that's that's not that much of an issue, I don't think. It's just because of the availability of the players. And funny enough, that's something I'll be writing a bit later on if you want to read about it on the Echo website. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's, it's where I go for most of my research for these kind of things. <laughs> and rightly um, so too. Finally, um, I want to get I want to get your maybe not quite a prediction, but you know your analysis and how you think the season might play out. So I'm going back to the 2014-2015 season I heard for Dortmund when I think they won four matches up until February in the Bundesliga. They were flirting with relegation at one stage, went out of the Champions League in the last 16. Klopp announces he's leaving in April and they finally rescued the season somehow, dragged themselves away to safety and they ended up finishing seventh. Do you think we're at the end of a cycle with, with, with a manager like, like Jurgen Klopp? I'm not mentioning for a second that he's going to get sacked or anything like that, but do you think that you know we're sort of approaching the end game when it comes to what Klopp can achieve with this squad? Well, with the, I think I think the team that won all the stuff a couple you know a couple of years ago and won this is in, basically he's at, he's having to build another team. He's had three teams: the one he inherited, which he got to the League Cup final, the Europa League final, then the one that he then built himself, which got to a couple of Champions League finals and uh, won the league and won one of the Champions League finals, and then certainly from last season, the one that last last season's team was kind of. Most of the leftovers from his first team, and he just started to build another one because he got Canati, he got Diaz, Atiago's already there, Jota's there, so he's kind of already been building towards the, the team. But I think I said at the start of the season, in the summer actually, on our podcast, the Bud Rep podcast, and they were asked, "What do you think the season's going to be like?" And they were like, "Yeah." Some people are like Liverpool are going to win the league because obviously that's what they would say, and I'm like. Now nah, Man City are going to walk this league, and Liverpool are battling with Tottenham for second. They're like, "Why?" Says well, because I think it's going to be a transitional season, and not transition in the sense that they're going to finish about tenth or something like that. But they just can't keep on this. We've got to win every game, which is what we're saying before. There has to be a point where you go, well, actually, we do need to rebuild the team. And if we take away that pressure of having to try and win absolutely everything, then that's the best way of doing it. I mean, obviously, they would like to win every single game. You can see the reaction of the team 
from these three games are absolutely, you know, they're not happy the way things are going. But I do think it's going to be a transitional season. I also got asked how much you think Liverpool are going to win, and I said nothing. You know, they were all like, what? Oh, Lord's kind of so, ah, when, when they came so close all those, you know, four times last season. It's like, well, no, because you could already see it. You know that Nunes is coming in for Manny. That's a massive change because Manny isn't just the forward. He's been the one central figure point of the entire time, the, the six seasons that Klopp had in terms of full seasons. He was his first major signing. And he's not just a forward, but he, he takes the fight. And I, what was funny is that some people said on on uh, on Monday, oh, Liverpool missed Manny. You know, they really missed Manny. And I had to point out to them, well, actually, when Liverpool won 5 0 and 4 2 at Old Trafford the last two games, Manny didn't start. And one and after after the four two when he was made a massive kick up on the pitch at club for presumably for not playing, and then the other one I think he came on when it was five nil. So you know it isn't just down to just him as a player. I think it's more the kind of ethos that he's got in terms of taking the fight to you know opposing teams, and that kind of rubs off in say training for example training. This is the thing people forget is that the, the, the players would have come up against him training all the time. So they're used to this this player just pestering them, annoying them all the time. And it keeps them on the toes. And I think Liverpool are in that kind of transitional period where they've got new players coming in who are still learning the ways, who are still getting experience. Like Elliot, he's going to be great. We've seen that already. He's still very inexperienced. Cavalio's just coming. He's going to, I think he's going to be really good. You saw against United. He, he, I think he'll play against Bournemouth actually on Saturday. So he's someone else. And the other players who have just mentioned, all of them are injured. So I don't want to go back to the injuries, but if you were going to have a transitional season where you want to bed in new players and carry on being successful, you need as many players available as possible. And Liverpool just haven't got that. So it's hard to do a transitional season when all of your newer players are all injured. Exactly. Exactly. Um, fair point. Uh, even-handed analysis uh, from Ian Doyle who is uh, Liverpool's uh, chief writer uh, for The Echo. Thanks very much for joining me this morning. Uh, I've been Peter Staunton and this has been uh, Football Digest. Uh, Please try and find us wherever you can uh, on social, uh, around the Reach websites, uh, obviously on The Echo. Uh, You can uh, read whatever you want from from Ian and uh, the rest of the great Liverpool crew over there. Um, It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Ian, and um, hopefully see you next week.